the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Welcome to another edition of the Spot Track Podcast. My name is Mike Gennetti. It is Monday, December 4th, week 13 of the NFL season is almost complete. We've got a very important Monday Night Football game tonight to get through, but still, plenty of movement across the, uh, certainly the AFC with Kansas City losing, Cleveland falling back. A couple of the six and six teams getting a new lifeline. The NFC is coming into focus. I think the San Francisco 49ers weapons made a statement yesterday. Brock Purdy has continued to make a statement since Thanksgiving. And talent is winning out. Speed is winning out. The Tyreek Hills, the Debo Samuels of the world, certainly the Christian McCaffrey's of the world, when healthy, are the forefront of this NFL league. They really are. They are the standout unicorn athletes that are rising above the cream. Always rises to the crop this time of year. Generally, it's the running backs um, that sort of surface. That's not what's happening here. Creative, high-flying, spread-out offenses are finding ways to win with speed, whether it's throwing, you know, putting the ball in Debo Samuel's hands from a one-yard play and letting him cook, or basically saying, Tyreek Hill, run as fast as you can, as long as you can. And Tua Tungavailoa can get that ball there. So uh, what we saw yesterday was explosive in a lot of cases. We also saw some pretty good defense. I mean, the Chargers-Patriots 6-0 debacle. It's the time of year for that, too. So buyer beware when you're out there on the FanDuel's and the DraftKings thinking about over-unders and thinking about just how many points a team can score this time of year because injuries, weather, plenty of factors have come into play. Boy, Trevor Simeon looks like he's going to be the the week 14 starter for the Jets, their fourth starting quarterback. It looks like Kenny Pickett's going to miss at least three to five with that ankle surgery. So it's Mitchell Trubisky time in Pittsburgh. The quarterback injuries are constantly piling up on us, unfortunately, and it's a discussion we've had quite a bit. If you If you got a viable backup, you can hang around. And by the way, Joe Flacco may be a viable backup in Cleveland. It looks like he was basically one play away from keeping that team afloat and maybe that season afloat in Cleveland. I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised one iota if he's the week thirteen excuse me, week fourteen starter for Cleveland because of what he did for about three and a half quarters in this week thirteen matchup. Can Trubisky game manage the you know the Pittsburgh offense that has really done nothing to to amplify their winning season thus far? I don't know. You know how many reps has he actually seen? the The story for me is is somebody like Gardner Minshew who was brought in to be exactly what he is, which is a security blanket for Anthony Richardson, who was a bit of a flyer pick as it was because of his lack of experience inside of an actual NFL style offense. And this, he was an athlete. He's going to move. He's going to run. He's going to get hit. And when he gets hit, he's going to get hurt. Gardner Minshew has held his own. He's one of the bigger stories of this entire NFL season thus far. And that Colts team is 7-5, and five, and that's without Jonathan Taylor or Anthony Richardson right now. So that's something to monitor here. And I think it's something a lot of teams are going to monitor who have Nick Mullins and Blake Bortles and QB3s and QB4s that probably shouldn't be in this league right now when so many teams are struggling to have a QB1 across the landscape. Okay, we're going to talk plenty more football. Here's the here's the itinerary for today. I'm going to swim through some Major League Baseball stuff because it's Monday. 
Winter meeting meetings in Nashville are set to kick off in just a couple of hours. There's a lot to get to. We had a trade this morning. The Braves refuse to go a couple of days without making some sort of notable move. They have made a big one this morning and the Mariners are involved and that's a team we have to talk about as well. So some talking points with Major League Baseball as the big week kind of ramps up here. I posted a piece. The NFL offseason continues for SpotTrack.com. It's wide receivers this time around. There's a lot. I could have spent, I don't know, three more hours talking about bubble players. I, I segmented it into three, three, three categories. One is just pending UFAs. So the Mike Evans, the T. Higgins. I've got market valuations. I've got my thoughts for every single one of these players. Then I've got those bubble players. And I think I identified between six and eight. I could have gone... 15, you know, 15 to 20. I will do so in our actual roster bubble piece here coming up in a couple of weeks, but I kind of tempered myself here with just the notables. So UFAs, roster bubbles, and then I opened up a new category basically saying worth monitoring, right? That's your Stefan Diggs. That's your Devontae Adams. Um, players that should be secured certainly in their contracts, but feels like they're going to ruffle some feathers here in the coming weeks if things go as they may with their respective teams. So a big off-season NFL wide receiver piece now live. We're going to talk about that in depth here in segment two. And then a uh, another piece. I did a lot of writing yesterday. Now live on spotrate.com. Just kind of diving into Von Miller's situation, not the off-the-field stuff. Uh, that's There's plenty of other sites and outlets to get that kind of news. Um, and I've done absolutely no assuming with this piece. Basically, what I've done is tried to answer a bunch of questions that I've been getting about his contract, about the bills and the options that they have now, right now, in the future, this offseason, during 2024, after 2024. Just where does this contract stand? Because it was six for 120 and this is year two. So it's not like we're on the backside of this thing, even though from a guarantee standpoint, you might be able to say that. So there's a piece on spytrip.com detailing a lot of this. I'm going to go through the greatest hits in segment three of this podcast. So it's Major League Baseball right now, some wide receiver talk, and some Vaughn Miller contract talk for Monday's show. Okay. I have to start with Otani because it seems like things are moving a little bit quicker than I anticipated they were going to. This happened with Aaron Judge last year. I was begging for like a January 3rd decision. It doesn't seem like we're going to get there. The, the If there were eight teams to start this thing November 1st, I think we're down to three. Maybe there's a fourth in there. You know, Maybe the Cubs are still hanging around. Maybe the Mariners are still involved, although we'll talk about their trade and what that means for 2024 in our opinion. In just a second here, it seems like the Giants and Dodgers might be neck and neck. And, and I believe maybe both of those franchises have offered the $500 million that we've all been talking about here, which really is not just hyperbole. It's really what this guy is worth. And you can say it's more, you know, pretty, pretty easily. You can say this is a $30 million hitter and a $30 million pitcher. And if you do that math times nine to 10 years, you know where we get to. So it sounds like those offers are on the table with those two teams specifically. It's super fun that it's those two teams, kind of division rivals, geographical rivals, you know, et cetera, et cetera. We knew the Dodgers were not only going to be a good fit for him from a franchise standpoint, but because they spent all of last year shedding back and dialing back their finances so much for 
the Otanis of the world, the Yamamotos of the world, et cetera, et cetera. I don't think this is all about Otani. I think there's going to be three to four, right? The Dylan C stuff, the Shane Bieber stuff, the Corbin Burns stuff, all of these trade rumors, all these free agent rumors are going to be attached to the Dodgers because they prepared themselves to be extremely splashy this offseason. So I would expect them to do just that. And it starts with Otani. They're still the leaders in the clubhouse. If you could bet it offshore, they'd still be the odds favorite to, to win this guy. But the Giants are here. And I wonder, and I've talked about this quite a bit with Cousin Dan and things like that, but there has been at least an inkling of rumor out there that somebody may be offering short, short-term, high, high AAV. Something I've been pushing for quite a bit, especially with this situation, and especially now with Otani's injury, right? He's not going to pitch. There may be teams that need to see that he can pitch again, and he may not want to sign his 10-year contract until he proves that he's going to pitch again because there's at least a small shadow of doubt right now within these negotiations. Now, like I said, all the reports out there say the $500 million is already on the table, but you know, these major league baseball contracts are starting to look a little bit more and more like the NFL ones where you have to, the devil's in the details. You know, Carlos Correa had a $300 million contract, but an opt out after one year in his first go around with Minnesota. Is that, if we connect some dots here, is that what's being offered? Is that what the giants are offering here? Are they, are they saying, look, we'll make this thing 10 for 525 and we'll give you a player option next year, right? So let's say it's $55 million this year, specifically in 2024. And then there's tons of incentives if you win the MVP and a silver slugger and all these things that could increase this thing up to $600 million because I don't even think that's crazy. I just did the math for you in my head. So let's make this a 10, mil, 10, mil, 10 year, could be 600 million maxed out with all the incentives. Or if you'd like, come play for us for one year for almost 60 million. And then if you decide that your value has increased above a maximum of $600 million, right? Because that number is still insane. Opt out. Go back to the market, and we hope you come back and 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 deal with us again, knowing that we took care of you here for one season. It's a really intelligent way for a team who isn't the Dodgers, but is longing to be that team, especially if they have to beat them in a division race, to reel this guy in. We're going to give you the dollars you want, and but we're going to give you the ability to take a ton of money this year and then decide your fate. And if your arm is healthy and you can prove that to some some people next offseason and you want to have a true hitter slash pitcher showcase next November and December, we're going to afford you that opportunity. Would the Dodgers do that? I'm not sure. I'm not sure that that's something that the franchise of the Los Angeles Dodgers believe they have to do because they are the Dodgers, right? This is like, <laughs> this is like the Lakers. This is like the Yankees in the heydays, right? We shouldn't have to do that to bring in even the biggest unicorn free agent in the history of the game. They may, if the if the Giants are going that route. And by the way, this is pure speculation and maybe just a little bit of a wishful thinking on my part. But if I'm creative GMX, and I know that the Dodgers have offered 500, and that's the ideal landing spot for this player, this is how I'm thinking. 
right? I'm thinking we got to wow him with some front-loaded cash. We got to wow him with control and power. And we still have to wow him with a gigantic bottom line in the instance that everything goes swimmingly for us next year. You know, we bring in a couple of pitchers to round this thing out, whether it's now or in the middle of the season. And it looks and feels and smells like this Giants team plus Otani can really get to the finish line because that's all that matters here. He's going to get his money wherever the hell he wants. He wants to get to the finish line. So that's creative GM Mike coming out and saying, this is how I defeat the Dodgers with early money, with long-term money, and with control throughout this entire thing. Wishful thinking. The third team appears to be Toronto. And this is something that excites the hell out of me. And I know Cousin Dan, uh, we've talked quite a bit early about this. We had some wishful thinking discussions recently about this. And now it seems like it's really here. If you haven't been to Toronto, I don't think you can put yourself in these shoes and understand how good of a fit geographically from a hospitality standpoint, this would be for Shohei Otani. And oh, by the way, super exciting young team that has shown they're willing to spend money in a city that is ridiculously rich, ridiculously loaded, right? Could boost everybody's value. Now the stadium kind of blows. They know that, you know, they know that they're trying to fix what's there now and possibly talk about something new in the city. But there are a lot of positives to Toronto. And oh, by the way, terrible season last year that they have to now account for to keep players like Bo Bichette and Vlad Guerrero Jr. and a bunch of pitchers that they acquired in the fold, in the mix, and happy for at least two to three years. At least. Well, you start talking Juan Soto acquisition and signing Shohei Otani at, at once. And you're going to start to reinvigorate not only this fan base, but this team. Like I said, massively underachieved in 2023. This is not a small market opportunity for the Toronto Blue Jays. They are as big of an organization, at least with what they have around them, as any of these teams we're talking about. These are three powerhouse cities and three collectively of the bigger franchises that Major League Baseball has. So all of this makes sense to me, okay? Do the Dodgers still make the most sense? Of course. And if they offer a flat 10 for 550 or 8 for 550, whatever this is going to be, because I do think the AAV is going to be way up there now after, after reading some of these reports. I don't know if Shohei says no to that, you know? I don't know if he says no to a lineup that includes Freddie Freeman and Mookie Betts and Max Muncie and just so much talent, so much talent. And by the way, like I said, it's not just about Otani. They're going to upgrade their shortstop position. They're going to bring in another quality starter, if not two. They've already brought back Joe Kelly, you know, a versatile, familiar reliever. This is about going all in on the short term to make sure that whatever they have to spend this offseason, which is probably going to rival, if not blow away, what Texas has done over the past couple of seasons, it's going to be immediately impactful to this fan base, to this franchise, and get them back in the winning race. So I'd rank it, I'd still rank it Los Angeles Dodgers, San Francisco Giants, Toronto Blue Jays in that order. I'm happy with any of those landing spots. I'd love personally to see Toronto get this thing done and kind of sneak in as the dark horse, even though from a lot of, from a lot of standpoints, there's nothing dark horse about that city. 
And nothing dark horse about that franchise. They have paid in the past. They have won big free agents over in the past. This might just be the perfect one at the perfect time to resurrect some of these young players into what could be a championship team. All right. I mentioned a trade this morning. The Braves have been active signing players, acquiring players. They made a really nice deal with Seattle this morning, acquiring Jared Kellenick, former Mets first round power hitter. Evan White, one of those guys who got a contract extension from the from Seattle before he ever stepped on a major league baseball field, and it hasn't worked out, but decent, you know, decent depth for Atlanta to acquire. They can bury a minor salary or buy him out, whatever they have to do. And Marco Gonzalez, a I don't know, a hybrid, right? A starter slash reliever. More notably a starter, I think, right now. Something that this Braves team needed. So two and a half really quality pieces for a young reliever and a kind of a flyer player in Jackson Coar. So this is just Atlanta saying we're willing to push all of our chips in right now. And by the way, they're not, they're not done. Von Grissom and a couple of other players already being floated to the, to the Cincinnati's and the Milwaukee's and the Cleveland's of the world. So we'll go and acquire another legitimate starting pitcher. I've heard Shane Bieber. I've heard Dylan Seas. I've heard Tyler Glasnow. I've heard a bunch of names like that linked to this Braves team who Let's be honest. We're one of the best teams in all of baseball and fizzled out round one last year before they could even see it coming. Despite an MVP season from Ronald Lacuna Jr. and a couple of other players, certainly Matt Olson, having career seasons. So they know what they have. They know how talented they can be. It is simply about adding a couple of cherries on the top here. And they've done that maybe three, four times over now. And we're not even at winter meetings. So they are jumping the gun. They are trying to get ahead of all the discussions, all the elbow bumping that's going to happen over the next couple of days. They don't want to wait for that. They want to go and identify players and overpay a little bit to get those in their clubhouse and on their 40-man roster right now. Because what they have now, there's no, there's no restricted trade rules like we have in the NBA. They can flip these players. right? They may have a plethora of relief pitchers now, or hybrid SPRPs that can they can now convert into an ace, right? Into a Shane Bieber. That's why they're doing this. They're they're bolstering their own 40 man for personal reasons, but they're also adding trade assets in case they have to throw one of these guys into something that they want to get a bigger fish with. It's good work. And, you know, we've complimented the organization of the Atlanta Braves for their early extensions and certainly for the way they've handled some of their Acuna, Junior, Ozzy Albies, even the Freddie Freeman situation, which got ugly there for a second, but certainly they knew that what the hell they were doing, right? Because Matt Olson was a top three MVP candidate. This is just another example of, a, I, th- I believe they are jumping, they're playing chess when everybody else is sitting around sleeping, <laughs> waiting for winter meetings. And there are a lot of great teams that have really not moved the needle yet. The Braves are not one of them. So that, that trade is now live on SpotTrack. You can see the updated luxury tax projections, things like that. We're just getting started. All right. There's plenty of rumors. I mentioned some names out there. Corbin Burns appears to be on the move. Willie Adamas, the Brewers shortstop, appears to be heavily in trade discussions. Juan Soto is linked to the Yankees and the Blue Jays right now, just to name a few. Seattle appears to be cutting payroll. And uh, there's two ways we can look at that. Cousin Dan brought brought it to my attention that this could be a move to really dial things back, simplify the process a bit, and then the owner may be looking to get out of this team. In other words, let me clear the deck a bit, 
when the next guy or girl comes in, they can make some big decisions about how to ramp things back up. That's one avenue. They could also be clearing payroll and clearing roster spots to make a big fish move. Maybe it's not Otani. Maybe it's not Juan Soto. By the way, it could be Juan Soto. But maybe it's Matt Chapman. Maybe it's one of these pitchers. There are multiple reasons teams do things this time of year. And uh, Seattle is sort of in the fringe of could be any of those. So keep an eye on that team. Super active GM. Loves to make trades. Loves to be bumping elbows this time this time of year at the winter meetings. I would not be surprised if both those things are true. The owner is looking to move on and is looking to simplify some things. But oh, by the way, if we can get that guy, we're going to get that guy. All right. Okay. Let's move on to, to our wide receiver piece. Now live on SpotTrack.com, evaluating the 2024 wide receiver market. It's a doozy. Um, if you like to read words, there's plenty of words here. I'm going to give you the greatest hits. We mentioned Mike Evans. Pretty good time to have a market valuation piece about Mike Evans because he just broke the NFL record for 10 straight seasons of 1,000 receiving yards or more. You're going to have all the Hall of Fame discussions today. That's going to be the hot topic across the stoves. I don't know. It doesn't matter to me if he's in or not. I don't think it's going to matter to him too much either, okay? Because what does matter is he's 30 years old. Looks like he's 25 still. Baker Mayfield's his quarterback right now, all right? And a, and a declining Tom Brady was his quarterback last year. Let's be perfectly frank about how that looked. And he's just Mike Evans. So I, I think what, what we've seen here is that this player sort of transcends Whatever offensive deficiencies are going to be happening around him, there really has never been a running game in this team. And he has been a one of one. Chris Goblin was a really good Robin to his Batman for a couple of years. He's not right now. He's a different player post that injury. And uh, Evans has really had to carry this offense on his shoulders. And he's done so kind of magically. So there's no instance of decline. I don't know that it makes any sense for Tampa Bay to extend him. And Mike Evans has sort of said that out loud. This team is kind of living on life support right now. There's a ton of talent, but it's aging talent, right? It feels like that Minnesota situation where you knew a couple of guys had to go and they didn't really handle that well in Minnesota. And they're still not handling that well. Tampa Bay is going to have to rip this bandit off, I believe, after this season. Now, I don't, I don't know that they'll do it. There's a world where they sign Baker Mayfield to a four-year extension try to keep Mike Evans or replace him via the draft and just continue to do this thing. I think regardless, Mike Evans is walking March 13th into free agency to see what's out there for him. I've got him on a four for 94 at age 30. It's low. All right. That's 23 and a half. Basically what I've done is, and what the math has done is it's cap adjusted Stefan Diggs recent deal in Buffalo for 2024. If somebody wants to come in with $25 million a year for three years and give him three for 75, nobody's going to gawk at that. This guy's worth every dollar of it. You know, and if he can transcend your offense, if you're Carolina, if you're Chicago, if you're the Jets, and you know you need this bona fide get open, thousand yards, 65, 75 catches, that's what this guy is. He's he's money in the bank. So there's going to be a multitude of teams looking for this player specifically, and the age isn't going to matter one iota. Michael Pittman Jr. Completely different situation. Young quarterback, certainly with even with Gardner Minshew, this guy just continues to get better and better every week. Every single week, he is the focal point. This is why they drafted him where they drafted him. They have gone through, what, seven offenses since they drafted him number 34 overall back in 2020. He's on an expiring contract. 
I don't think they'll need the franchise tag to keep him around because if they do this right and Jim Irsay keeps his mouth shut this time, right? And, and unlike the Jonathan Taylor debacle, you just overpay this guy. I mean, you give this guy the AJ Brown contract, even though we know he's not there yet, because that's what you have to expect him to be. You need him to be Anthony Richardson's AJ Brown. And you're going to feed an offense and build an offensive line and do everything you have to do to make sure that can happen. Because I believe this guy is talented enough in a lot of cases, and he doesn't have the size yet, but I believe he's talented enough to at least be a bona fide number one option for you. What you can't do is let this guy walk. All right. You cannot let this guy walk and let those teams that I just mentioned and a bunch more get their hands on him and start negotiating with them. Mathematically, he's four for 90. That's an extension right now. It's probably a five or six year contract if Indianapolis is doing their dirty work the correct way. Like I said, A.J. Brown got $25 million a year two years ago. If they have to go at or north of that to keep him, you do it. You got a rookie quarterback. You got a defense that's going to get turned over and get young and expensive and inexpensive here for you. If you have to overpay to keep this guy, you do it. Just like they did with Jonathan Taylor, and that's going to work out for them as well. So... Super happy that this guy kind of figured it out because the coaching situation, the quarterback situation, a lot of things were going against him. And now we know that things have, now that things have settled a little bit and there's a offensive mind and Shane Steichen running the ship, this guy's going to flourish and he's going to continue to flourish. Cannot let him walk out the door on March 13th, even just to negotiate. Can't do it. Got to get him done before he gets there. T. Higgins. It's an injury season and a walk year. It's tough, right? He's going he's gonna to come back at some point here, but Jake Browning is going to be his quarterback. I don't know. You know, he's a four for 66 in our system because he's been kind of Robin's Robin for a lot of years. You know, there's, there's Jamar Chase. There's also Tyler Boyd, who's, Tyler Boyd who's on this list. Tyler Boyd and T. Higgins both expected to walk this offseason away from Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati Bengals offense. That's a whole story in itself. All right. Now, did this injury-riddled season deflate his value to the point of where Cincinnati may be able to retain him on a price point that they can live with, you know, along with Jamar Chase's extension that's coming with Joe Burrow's contract that's about to kick in? It's possible, right? It's possible that the $16.5 million per year that I've got Higgins valued at is tenable for Cincinnati to keep him around. Will he accept it? No. And here's why. Because Christian Kirk walked into free agency, got $18 million a year two years ago, and made every, every, every single naysayer apologize in about six weeks. And that's what he believes he can do, and I think he can do it. Will he find the right team? That's his prerogative. So I don't believe there's any extension discussions happening. I think T. Higgins wants to get to free agency. He wants to find one team that wants to do that to him, you know, raise his ceiling, certainly raise his financial value and give him the opportunity to be a WR1 somewhere. And if that exists, he'll sign it. And if and when it doesn't, and it's possible that it doesn't, it's possible that every team in the league treats him as a WR2 and wants to sign him for about 18 to 20 million a year. Then maybe Cincinnati, you know, our return to Cincinnati is his best option. But I believe he will hit the open market March 13th and then it'll be a bit of a rat race from there. Calvin Ridley, uh, it's still been a great trade for Jacksonville, but he is certainly inconsistent and he is certainly not a standout number one option 
as it currently exists in this league. He's not. All right. He's going he's got eleven games in. He's got caught about fifty balls. He's gonna play tonight. Maybe he'll catch five or six more and he'll have twelve weeks and fifty some catches. He's averaging fourteen yards of reception. So that part of his game is certainly there. All right. There's separation, there's yards after the catch. All of that is good to go. I just don't think he has risen like I thought he would in this team to that level of can't miss number one option. And if that's the case, I'm not sure that Jacksonville looks to keep him around. I'd like to see it happen, but quite frankly, Calvin Ridley and Christian Kirk are essentially the same player right now. It's not a bad problem, okay? It's not a bad problem to have if you're Jacksonville and Trevor Lawrence. But if Calvin Ridley believes he can be bigger or wants to be his own version you know, of a tier two wide receiver on a team that values him better, he'll walk. You know, Jacksonville's not going to franchise tag this situation. They have weapons. They can backload weapons in the draft, as they've done now for the past couple of seasons. <clears throat> I don't think Calvin Ridley is worth a WR1 salary. Mathematically, he's $17 million a year, right around that Higgins number, four for 68, four for 70, if we're getting fancy. He's exactly what Christian Kirk is making right now. All right? And if we just cap adjust that, we can get ourselves into twenty twenty one million a year. So if Calvin Ridley wants to stay on a twenty twenty tour version of what Christian Kirk is making financially, maybe Jacksonville keeps him around. Otherwise, go get go get slightly overpaid on a team that you might get more targets from, but they may not be as uh, as tasty as what you're getting from Trevor Lawrence. One more name, Gabe Davis. He's a thirteen and a half million dollar wide receiver in our system. And I think there are a lot of people that say that's crazy. Nobody should pay him more than 10. And I think there's some people that maybe watch this stuff closer that think you're crazy. He is the next Christian Kirk. I'm here for all of this because I've seen what even a little bit dinged up Gabe Davis looks like. And it's basically a statue. All right. There's no separation. There's no ability to get open. And he is lost in games. Literally not a player that Josh Allen will even look to in certain games. That's not great if you got to pay a guy 15 million plus a year. There's also been a version where he has become the singular target and he does create separation as he did in overtime against Philadelphia. And he does have the ability to make amazing catches on the sideline, which is what his role really is. He's also 24 years old. I'm not sure how that happened, but it's happening. And he's the youngest player on this list in this article to be talking about today. That's going to benefit him, all right? Because there's a team out there that's maybe super young that's going to say, this guy can just join our party and he may step into a legitimate wide receiver two role, which he's never done for Buffalo. He's been in WR1 a couple of weeks. For the most part, he's been the third, maybe even the fourth option for this Bills offense. So I don't see Buffalo dishing out 12 to 15 million a year. That's for sure. Now, if that number does drop into the nines and tens where some of these Bills Mafia fans want it to be, yeah, he's coming back on that number. I think there's a team out there that really does believe this is the guy you overpay for because of the age, because of what he was asked to do in Buffalo, and because of some of the game tape that really does look like he has a higher ceiling than what, than what we've been seeing. Can he do it consistently? I think that's going to be somebody else's, you know, that, that's for the big wigs to figure out. 
And if consistency is a problem, that's when 18 to 20 million a year becomes 14 to 16, which is kind of where the math says he should be. So it's a fascinating name because of his role in Buffalo, because of his age. Because like I said, you could tell me it's three for 27 or it's three for 60. And I'd have a case for both sides. All right. Bubble players really quick. I've got four. At least notable names. And I probably shouldn't include Allen Robinson, but he's got a big cash payment due next year. Nobody's paying that payment. All right. They're going to get out of him. Mike Williams tore his ACL. He was playing his, out of his mind for Justin Herbert. There's a connection there, but there's no way they can keep him around at 20 million. They can free up 20 million of cap space before March 15th. They're going to do that. Whether they bring him back or not, that's a different story, but the Chargers have to get out of this contract before the year three guarantee kicks in. Michael Gallup's just never gotten back to form. And I don't know if it's him physically or the fact that the Dallas offense has just matured to a place that he can't keep up with. And he's no longer Dak Prescott's option. Dak Prescott is looking for guys like Turpin and Jake Ferguson way more than he's ever looking at Michael Gallup right now. So it seems like that contract extension is going to be two and done. Here's the thing. He's making nine and a half in 2024, 11 and a half and 11 and a half. And there's no guarantees, right? Four million of next year's salary locks in March 17th. You know, that, that's nothing. That's, you could walk away from that in terms of dead cap, dead cash. But a nine and a half, basically a one for nine and a half next year, that's a tradable contract. So I'm not sitting here saying Dallas is going to move on from him by just outright releasing him. They're going to have to clear up cap space because of Dak's extension, because of CD's extension, because of et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I believe this is a trade conversation, Michael Gallup. And uh, there will be a team maybe that loses out on a Gabe Davis or a T Higgins that wants to see if Gallup can bring himself back, resuscitate his career back to a legitimate second option. It's possible. He's 27 years old. Hunter Renfro has just fallen out of favor in Las Vegas. He's going to get released out of next season. And like I mentioned, Allen Robinson, no chance that Pittsburgh stays in that contract with Pickens and Deontay Johnson and Friar Muth and those weapons already locked in for next season. Okay. I'm not going to go through this because I want you to read it. And then I want some, I want some feedback on the also worth mentioning part of this article. Uh, Devontae Adams, you know why it's here. The Raiders are going backwards. Devontae is really well paid. The trade stuff is ugly. I broke down all the math for you on this piece. But Aaron Rodgers and the Jets are going to exist in 2024. And the Adam Schefters of the world are already discussing week 12 and 13 of this season that that relationship and that trade at some point in time has to get has to have real legs. So if it's happening in November, can you imagine what the discussions are going to be in February when we're ramping up from March 13th in the new league year? Uh, I'm just going to believe it that at some point in time, this is going to become a reality. All the numbers are there for you on, on the site. I don't know if the Raiders want to give up yet. They probably should. We'll see what, what kind of offseason they have. I can tell you right now, the Bills do not want to give up on Stefan Diggs. And the Bills have a really good opportunity right now after a couple of week 13 losses elsewhere to get themselves back in this playoff conversation. And if they're there, and even if they're one and done in the postseason, with all the injuries they've had on defense and all the issues they've had offensively, and certainly going through another court, you know, offensive coordinator situation here, they can get themselves back into good standing this season. Stefan Diggs does not belong here. But if not, and they end up 
let's just say, I'll be generous and I'll say seven and 10, which is one more win than they have right now. Stefan Diggs is going to start talking about getting the hell out of Buffalo. All right. He's going to start listening to his brother and he's going to start listening to all these people that are saying, Hey man, you're going to be 30 going on 31. You're in a good contract. Move off this thing and get yourself to a better situation because San Francisco has cap space. Dallas can make this work. And you know, that's going to be a landing spot. The Packers probably could use a veteran wide receiver. I know Kansas City can, but they're never going to trade him there. Here's the thing. Buffalo is not going to trade Stefan Diggs unless they are 100% sure that A, they have been blown away by a trade offer, just like Minnesota was when Buffalo acquired Stefan Diggs. Or they are 100% convinced that he will never play another snap for them and he's going to hold out of his contract. Those are the only two situations that Brandon Bean would pull the trigger and trade Stefan Diggs after 2023. Because from a football standpoint, it makes 0% sense. And from a contract standpoint, it doesn't make a hell of a lot of sense either. And you can read the dead cap information on this article on spytrack.com. Last name. I mentioned the Herbert stuff with Mike Williams. We've talked Chargers quite a bit. This is a floundering team. This coach and GM are, are going to be fired after this season. Uh, that is my educated guess. And I think it's a, it's a smart one which means a lot of change is coming, right? Eckler is going to walk. Mike Williams is going to be released. There's going to be some offensive line changes. A lot of things are going to change here. Is Keenan Allen going to stick around for this? It's his walk year in 2024. 23 cash, the highest cap hit of any wide receiver in football right now next year, which means the Chargers are going to want to restructure that, that cap hit and lower it. And if they do that, then he's not tradable for them because they've just paid him a signing bonus, which means... If something's going to give, right? If the Chargers season continues to absolutely spiral downward, and this is the third or fourth in a row, Keenan Allen's going to walk into that front office that may be vacant soon and say, I don't even care where this is going. You got to figure this out so that come March 13th, when you go to restructure my contract, I want to be somewhere else doing this. All right. I want you retaining salary so that you can acquire a sec, two second round picks to get me out the door so that I can go and sign my last extension with a team that isn't reshuffling their decks like I think the Chargers are going to be in 2024. It's possible I'm wrong. It's possible that because Allen is, by the way, ridiculous still, right? When he is healthy, he is an absolute monster from an analytical standpoint, from a production standpoint, from an absolute WR1 juggernaut standpoint. So this isn't something a stable organization would want to be doing but it is something Keenan Allen should be thinking about because he should be looking around the room, reading the room, understanding which pieces are about to fall off this roster. And he may be the lone dog, right? He may be the Mike Evans here in just a couple of months. I'd hate to see him sit, you know, waste out this contract because everything around him is crumbling. And certainly it makes no sense for him to offer an extension. And then he'll be 32 hitting free agency. I'd rather him get himself into a situation where he can sign that extension in March on a new organization, and the Chargers can get some draft assets back for it. So wishful thinking on my part, even though none of these players really belong elsewhere, the situations they're in, though, could demand that something gives over the next couple of months. Okay, quickly, let's switch to Von Miller. Um, absolutely no assumptions. 
And much of this article is with the stipulations that the legal system is going to have to play out before anything happens, right? I threw in the scenarios of Buffalo just saying, let's get out of it just now, just because I've gotten inundated with questions about, well, what happens if they release him tomorrow? I'll tell you what the number is, but it's it could not be a more useless number because it's never going to happen. Here's why. Why would the bills pay out 10.7 million cash for next year's salary right now when they probably won't have to? Nobody's going to do that. Nobody. All right. That's the guarantee for next year right now. If he's on the roster the first week of March, the rest of 2024 salary, all 17 million becomes fully guaranteed. So that's hanging out there. But, and you know, I probably should have done a better job of t- giving my opinion of where this is going to go. I didn't really, really want to attach my name to any of this because there's the legal process, then there's the NFL's punishment, and then we can start talking about what's going to happen. I've sort of given you the, the dummies version of everything that's possible and all the numbers that are surrounding it. What's probably going to happen if Vaughn Miller is guilty of this and if the NFL decides, okay, he has violated the personal conduct policy, he will be suspended. And the second he is suspended, any of those future salary guarantees void. That doesn't mean he loses the money. What it means is there are, it's no longer a dead cap charge if Buffalo releases him. That's all it means. Okay. He's not guaranteed that salary anymore because he has violated the personal conduct policy. That's all it means. So, and by the way, one more thing to say, which I didn't say in the article, this stuff has taken forever of late. You know, Alvin Kamara's eventual suspension took forever, over a year, over an entire season, maybe a season and a half. I don't remember exactly, but forever. So there's a world where March, April, May, June, all goes by and we have, we know nothing about this Von Miller stuff because the court system, right? The back and forth between all of that is going, and the NFL is not going to touch it until there's resolution there. So it's got to get through the courts. Then the NFL has to adjudicate their side of it. And then if something comes down, if punishment is handed down, then this contract changes somewhat dramatically for Buffalo. So in my personal opinion, Buffalo is just going to have to carry him. Now they can push to have him placed on the commissioner's exempt list. I've noted that in this piece. All that does is free up a roster spot for the Bills. It's paid leave. All right. Unless there's a drastic case where Roger Goodell basically says, no, 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 we're going to have you basically on unpaid leave. You're essentially suspended until we can actually put down a official suspension on you. That's never going to happen. All right. That would be a look for the NFL that they do not want to go down. So commissioner's exemplus is just paid leave. The cap and the cash remain the same, but Buffalo gets the free up a roster spot. So they can essentially <clears throat> float Von Miller on this exemplist, replace him on the roster. And then when the timing is right and he is found not guilty and there's no suspension and they have to deal with the contract as it is right now, or the inverse and things change and they decide they want to move on. Whenever that timing happens, at least they didn't have to give up a roster spot to do it. I would assume if more details come out, it would get to that point, but it may not get to that point until 2024. You know, it may take a long time for the NFL to decide, 
all right, this is going to be something that lingers. You know, we've got six weeks left here, which is a long time. And Buffalo may be pushing for this already. But in my personal opinion, Von Miller's just going to be a part of the Bills until he's not. And that's just how this is going to work. And the contract, by the way, says that too. So suspension changes things from a guarantee standpoint. Suspension changes things from a dead cap standpoint. But the timing is very much not in Buffalo's favor. And there's one paragraph in this article that I really want you to focus on because I don't think it's something that's being talked about a lot. The timing of this isn't great for a contender, right? Who is running their cap table right up to the edge like Buffalo is. So if I go to 2024 cap space and I go to the bills, they are 30th right now in cap space at negative 42. And that's based on a $240 million salary cap, which could be a little higher, right? It might be 244-ish. And, and, but still, right? They're in the red. Josh Allen's at 47 million. Stefan Diggs is at almost 28 million. And Vaughn's at almost 24 million. Those are the top three cap hits for the Bills next year. The reason I'm bringing this up is all of Vaughn Miller's big, big cash next season is base salary. This past season, it was a roster bonus. Buffalo took that roster bonus, converted it to signing bonus, and freed up almost 11 million of cap space. That was the plan. I can guarantee you the plan for 2024 was to take that $17 million, which becomes fully guaranteed in March, convert almost all of it to signing bonus and free up another 12 million, which is something they're able to do. That would, that would be the cap conversion on Von Miller's compensation for next season. However, if the bills are waiting this process out and there's a world where by the end of the summer, the NFL has handed down punishment and that 17 million is now no longer guaranteed and Vaughn is suspended for six to eight weeks and Buffalo basically wants to say, no, no, we got to get out of this. If they have converted 16 million of that salary to signing bonus for cap purposes in March, now they have to adjudicate getting that signing bonus paid back to them, which means they won't get anything back to them basically until a full year later because you know how this stuff drags out. It's a big deal for a team that has extreme cap issues, right? They're not going to want to do this. They're not going to want to convert that, that base salary to signing bonus with what could be pending, which means they'll have to get creative, creative with how they handle their cap gymnastics. And this is probably just a situation they're going to have to ride out indefinitely TBD. So it's a mess for Buffalo. It's certainly a mess for Von Miller. It's certainly a mess for everybody included in this whole situation. And uh, it's terrible and unfortunate, at least from an allegation standpoint. But it's also not going to be a quick resolution. So anybody saying, what, what happens if the Bills cut Von Miller tomorrow? You got to get off that. That's not what we're, what we're here for. This is going to be a long-term discussion with moving parts based on how things hash out. And that hashing out takes time. And unfortunately, it takes a lot of time from the Buffalo Bills standpoint. Okay. Um, I will flip the switch to the quarterback conversation. I did a quarterback piece on future guaranteed salary. That's live. I have not done the piece on the 2024 quarterback market, right? Your Kirk Cousins, your Baker Mayfields, you know, it's not a great list, right? Joshua Dobbs, if, we, if we're still able to include him, Jimmy Garoppolo probably falling back into that list. Etc. Etc. And we'll probably mash in together 
some extension conversations for Dak and Trevor Lawrence, et cetera. So it'll be a more evolved off-season outlook at the quarterback position. That's next in my homework agenda. The running backs are alive. The wide receivers are not are now alive. We are well into our off-season series. And oh, by the way, Major League Baseball winter meetings are here. So I expect a flurry of rumors turning into actual moves within the next 72 hours because real, things really do start to kick up when these people get together and start talking elbow to elbow. For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Giannetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Spot Track Podcast. <laughs>